0: Father God, would you open the word to us today? We love your word. And we come with ears open to hear your voice. We come with eyes to see what you're doing in the spirit. And we bring you soft hearts. That which is your word and not mine, we want to obey. We want to walk in. We want, to, we want the truth, Lord, that we might be disciples of yours and fulfill our calling. Come and feed us. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. All right, we're going to talk about godly disobedience. Is there such a thing? Chapter 4. Of course, we've gone through the healing of the lame man. This has gotten Peter and John in trouble, you recall. Uh, They were arrested, held in jail overnight, and they're brought out in front of the Supreme Court of Israel. They're brought out in front of the high priests and the, the elders. I mean, this is the top of the top. And they, they gather in this conference room in a big semicircle. These three men, the, the lame man as well, are stood in front of them and are questioned. How did you do this? And they said it's in the name of Jesus. And then it says in, in verse 15, when they had ordered them to leave the council, they began to confer with one another, saying, what shall we do with these men? For the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem. We cannot deny it, but so that it will not be spread any further among the people, let us warn them to speak no longer to any man in this name. And when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it's right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. And when they had threatened them further, they let them go, finding no basis on which to punish them on account of the people, because they were all glorifying God for what had happened. For the man was more than 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. You recall he was from his mother's womb, his his feet hung, Uh, he, he had no strength in his feet. And suddenly, after 40 years, begging in and, uh, many of those decades on, in the temple steps where every pious Jew saw the man, the guy's feet were instantly strengthened. He's jumping. He's dancing. Uh, he's, a, he, he's a total Pentecostal. Uh, I mean, he's in this thing. And, and there he stands, and the whole, the whole area has seen it. The word is out through the city. So we, they have a political problem. Notice for them, it is a political problem. It, it's not a spiritual issue. Uh, they're not asking, could we have been wrong? They're not asking spiritually anything. They're just saying, we've got to stop this t- teaching in Jesus, and this man's a problem to us. And so we're going to have to back off for the moment because uh, we, can't, uh, we can't hide this. Then, they, then Peter and John go back to the church, and I think they took the, the lame man with them. It says they, and I think it means everybody. And they return to the church, and they report what's just been said, what you just heard. And then I want you to notice the response of the congregation, because the response of the congregation is immediately to go into corporate prayer. Notice they prayed together corporately. So here they are, verse 24. When they heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord and said, O Lord, it is you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples devise futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur." And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence. Would you say, speak your word with all confidence? Speak your word with all confidence. Now, notice they ask, they ask for the, that God will help them speak confidently. And then he, they ask, while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant Jesus. Here's the deal, God give us courage to speak. And you keep doing miracles. Did you see that? How's that sound like? That's pretty good. Pretty good arrangement. And when they had prayed, they, the place where they had gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. I'm going to first of all take you into that. I want you to not just hear that. We can hear it at a surface level. I'm going to take you as deep as I know how into that story so you feel Peter and John's situation. You feel that early church and understand what they prayed. Then we're going to talk about how do we face our own culture and our own society right now. Sometimes human leaders tell us to do things that God has told us not to do. Or they tell us to stop doing things God has told us we must do. And then they force us to choose whether we will obey them or God. By nature, Christians prefer to be peaceful and obey civil and religious authorities. And the Bible tells us that under normal circumstances, that is the way we should live. But there may be times when the spiritual health of a leader declines, or the mood of a culture or society darkens, to the point that open hostility arises toward the God of the Bible. His moral standards and his claim to be our rightful ruler and judge always has, and will until the end of this age ends, offend unbelievers. What seems so right to us can really make people angry. And sometimes that anger erupts into persecution. When that happens, believers become openly criticized and watched. Unreasonable demands are placed on them, and they're forced to choose who they will obey. This is exactly the situation confronting our forefathers and mothers in this passage in the book of Acts. They were being forced to choose who they would obey and threatened with severe punishment if they chose to obey God. So their response provides a very important model for us because not only did the threats directed at them fail to stop them from proclaiming Christ, but God himself responded in a dramatic way that showed how pleased he was with them. Clearly, there are times when believers must engage in godly disobedience to human authority. Would you say godly disobedience? Godly yeah. Disobedience. The council ordered three men, the three men to leave the room so they could confer together in private. Their only concern was how to restrict the spread of faith in Jesus. There is not a trace of any serious reflection on the implications of such a healing. Instead of being thrilled that a miracle had been done in their midst or honestly questioning whether or not their hostility toward Jesus was misguided, they only discussed what steps they might take to prevent this new faith from spreading. The plan they decided on was simple. Let us threaten them to no longer speak upon this name to anyone. In other words, keep preaching and we'll hurt you. Then they called them back into the room to present their decision. They forbade them to teach others to call upon the name of Jesus. In fact, if you look literally at the Greek, they forbade them to utter even a single word about Jesus. Before we move on to consider Peter and John's response, we should remember what an intimidating environment this must have been for them. First of all, the men issuing this this order were the spiritual elders of Israel. Peter and John were pious Jews, raised to respect religious authorities. So we'd miss some of the internal pressure they must have been experiencing if we ignore their natural desire to submit. I'm not going to take it any further, but just, just realize there comes moments when you so are struggling, like, aren't I supposed to submit to authority? And then they're telling me this. And you look it through history where Christians get caught in that situation, like their heart on the one hand wants to obey, their heart on the other hand realizes God's saying something else. That's one of the tensions you'll feel. What point do I say, no, to duly established authority. At what point do I tell them no? And second, they were being threatened by the same group who only months earlier had been responsible for Jesus being savagely executed. There could have been no doubt in their minds that this council would carry out their threats. So they also had to overcome the fear of being tortured and possibly put to death. This group doesn't bluff. They don't bluff. When they say, we'll hurt you, they will hurt them. But Peter and John answered them with these words. Whether or not it's right, literally righteous, for us to obey God rather than you is a question you must answer for yourselves. But as for us, we believe we have no choice but to speak what we saw and heard. As much as Peter and John may have desired to submit to Israel's religious leaders and avoid persecution... When forced to choose, they felt a much higher obligation to obey Jesus. And he had commanded them to proclaim him beginning in Jerusalem. You see the, you see the thing? The, here's, here's these duly established religious leaders saying, don't speak. And then you just had Jesus, uh, probably uh, two months ago, say, proclaim me. Be my witnesses. Speak in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other parts of the earth. Uh, starting in Jerusalem... Be my witnesses. Jesus says, speak. They say, don't speak. Jesus says, speak. They say, don't speak. Here we are, caught, making a choice. Hearing this, the council warned them that they would be punished if they continued to preach and then released them because they could not find sufficient reason to hold them, particularly since the news of the healing had spread rapidly and the entire city considered it a sign, that's the word, from God. The lame man was highly recognizable figure. He was over 40 years old and for decades had begged at a location every pious Jew passed regularly. Don't you love it when God makes, makes a problem? How many of you have had Jesus get you in trouble? I mean, you know, following him, obeying him has gotten you in trouble. Come on, how many? Yeah, he does too. If he hasn't, he will. And if he hasn't, you've probably been pretty low under the radar. Mm-hmm. Not saying... Make trouble. All right. The council's goal, obviously. The bottom line is stop the spread of faith in Jesus. We got to shut this thing down. People are starting to believe. Their method, very simple, very primitive. Try to induce fear. Notice they had no proof they could bring out to show that Jesus had not risen from the dead. If they were going to try, if they had any proof, and believe me, they have connections through this city. They know where he was buried. If there were a body, it would come out now. If there were a body, it would get exhumed and shown. It would be somehow demonstrated right now that he had not risen. They have nothing they can point to. Do you notice this, please? This is the top leaders. They're connected to everybody in in, in the whole country. They can't prove. They had no scriptural response. Notice there's no biblical argument here to counter the prophetic passages that the Messiah will suffer. They, they, those, by the way, had to be developed over the centuries that follow. A lot of what you have now today in the argument with Judaism was not exist, did not exist then. There were indeed, I've read them myself with my own two eyes, there were indeed uh, rabbinical passages discussing Isaiah 53 and these other passages believing there indeed was a suffering Messiah at that point in time. It later on morphed. As, as, this, as Christians kept saying, it's Jesus. And they're going, oh, it can't be. And so we began to reinterpret the rabbinical passages. But you go back far enough, and you'll find the rabbis indeed saw a suffering Messiah. So they have nothing they can argue with here. They show no trace of conviction that they may have been wrong in their opposition to Jesus. Uh, at some point, you know, you look at a miracle like that, you'd say, maybe we missed something. They had no explanation for the miracle that had taken place. And then their method is to induce fear and to avoid public scrutiny so their real attitudes wouldn't be exposed because their real attitudes are callous. It's just selfish political ambition. They have no spiritual concern, yet they're the spiritual leaders of a nation. The apostolic answer. Peter and John show us that there are boundaries to obeying human authority. There are times when we must say no. Every person has to decide this question for themselves. When human authority clashes with God's authority, who will I obey? Peter and John tell the council that they had no choice but to obey their master, who told them to be his witnesses. Let's listen now to the prayer that the early church prayed. This is how they responded. Their prayer began by recognizing God's absolute power to rule over human events. The word translated here as Lord is better rendered as master. The Greek is despota. Do you recognize anything in there? Despot, yeah. Owner, master. It's it's really strong. They're just saying, if there's any decisions here about who's in charge, you're the master. We choose you. Jesus said, no man can serve two masters. And they said, we've chosen. We've chosen. They acknowledged... God as the rightful owner and powerful master of the universe. With these words, they were reminding themselves that the authority of mortal humans is nothing when compared to God's authority. And then they quoted a familiar scriptural passage to declare him to be the creator of all things. Next, they quoted a portion of Psalm 2. I'm in the process right now of memorizing Psalm 2. Recited it yesterday as much as I could. Which interestingly, they attribute to David as its author. Psalm 2 is a very powerful messianic psalm which pictures the arrival of Messiah to rule the earth. Paul says the psalm describes the resurrection of Jesus and the author of Hebrews uses it to declare the divinity of Jesus. The psalm goes on to say that God the Father will give the nations to his Messiah as a gift along with the authority to break them with a rod of iron and shatter them like earthenware. It it warns earthly rulers to submit to the Messiah because his wrath may soon be kindled. And the psalm ends by saying, how blessed are all who take refuge in him. So the reason the church quoted this psalm in their prayer is obvious. They recognized that it had already been partially fulfilled when their rulers, Herod and Pilate, along with the Roman soldiers and the multitudes of Israel, banded together to oppose the Messiah Jesus. Now they were confessing that the remainder of the psalm would be fulfilled as well. God's wrath is coming. And in light of that fact, they were not the ones who should be afraid. It was those who opposed his Messiah who should be afraid. Make sense? Yeah. They told God that they understood that the crucifixion didn't happen because he'd been unable to protect his son, but because the cross and the events surrounding it were part of his great plan. His unseen hand had all actively guided events so that everything that took place was done within the boundary of his will. At this point, the congregation called on God to look upon the threats that had been made against them. Yet rather than asking him uh, to protect them, though that is a call for protection in its own way, they only asked for the power to be totally free to speak his word. By calling themselves his slaves, they made it absolutely clear who they intended to obey. And finally, they asked God to continue stretching forth his hand to heal and cause signs and wonders to happen through the name of his holy servant, Jesus. They understood that they were now in a partnership with him. He would do miracles, they would proclaim Jesus. He would do miracles, they would proclaim Jesus. That's where we're headed, folks. That's what we want. Amen. This, is, this, is, this is not... You know, we often think of revival as a special event. It is not. It is normal Christianity. We are trying to return to normalness. We are trying to return to the way he intended it to be. This is not something you need to, you know, so pry out of God's hands. This is something he's longing to have us return. We've been operating substandard, except in moments through church history trying to return to normal. And while they were praying these things, God confirmed that he had heard them by shaking the place where they had assembled. Wouldn't you like to have felt that? And filling them with a fresh empowerment of the spirit to such a degree that they began to speak out prophetically with the freedom that they had requested. I suspect they prophesied and I suspect they spoke in tongues. When the church gathered, And heard Peter and John's report, their response was to immediately turn to God in prayer. Notice they didn't hold a planning session or take a vote. They prayed, and what they said to God shows us their faith and their courage. In the future, the persecution would grow so intense that many would be forced to flee for their lives. That would be Paul or Saul who who, who led that thing. But that moment had not yet arrived, for now they were being told to stand firm. Let's listen to their prayer. First of all, listen to the God they prayed to. Their prayer revealed what they believed about him. He is their master, rightful owner. He is their creator, powerful beyond comprehension. He is a foreknower. He knew this would happen and would use it to fulfill his plan. Nothing caught him by surprise. He is the controller of human events. He would take charge and direct these events as well. Say this with me. Big God, little devil. Big God, little devil. And then big devil, God. big devil, little God. If you listen to some Christians talk, all they talk about is the devil. The devil did this. The devil did that. The devil's doing this. The devil's got us. And the devil's coming in. And the devil's got this. And, you, and I've, I've had people where once in a while I've stopped and said, is God in the picture? I mean, I've had major fights over this. There's a real theology here. I've had people leave the church over this because I, I, I didn't go enough with a big enough devil. And, and <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm serious. I've had individuals where I kept saying, big God, little devil. This is something that's Amen. part of my thinking. Amen. There is a devil. Okay? They knew that, by the way. Do you hear one mention of him in that prayer? They go, no. like, oh, God, the devil's getting go. us." You didn't hear that, did you? They said, you are the man. You are strong. You're the controller. You're the creator. You're going to blow their hair off. Which is a terrible thing to have happen. <laughs> Big God, little devil. Think, even listen to yourself. How much do you talk about the devil? And how much do you talk about God's power? Because those really are two different... You, you watch. I'm not just pointing at something for fun here. You watch. You'll listen to your own conversation and who it is. Years ago, a friend of ours was the, was the secretary for a, a man who is actually a famous track writer. And uh, if I mentioned him, you probably know who I'm talking about. But we, and we had lunch with him. And we got into this conversation with him. And, and, he, um, and he was saying, the devil can do anything. He has all power except to raise the dead. And, and you know, I have always been difficult. So understand, I I wasn't trying to be difficult. It's effortless. Um, And I'm just sitting there and I I listen to this thing. And there's this, there's this, I was probably college, high school or college right about then. And I said, if he's so powerful, what does God do? And he said, well, he said, all we do now is preach the word. So I said, so the devil can make people sick, and the devil can do this, and the devil can do that, but God can't, doesn't heal anymore, and God doesn't do miracles anymore. God he says, that's it. That's called dispensationalism, people. That's what they're trying to cram down your throats. Understand, that's the bottom line. That's the issue. Big God, little devil, or big devil, little God? What you got? They had, would you notice, a big God. This group is not afraid. This group is not sitting there trembling. They said, you are the, you are the creator. You are our master. You are the controller of human affairs. And then they quote Psalm 2 saying... You, 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 which, which goes on, it says to the, it says this, it's, it pictures the Gentile kings and the kings of the earth. Uh, it says, let us tear off their fetters and cast their cords from us. Meaning God, the father and his Messiah it uses the word Messiah, the anointed one. That's why they said anointed, the anointed one. And then it says, the Lord uh, who he who sits in the heavens laughs, the Lord scoffs at them saying, as for me. I will I will set my king upon Zion my holy mountain and he will terrify them in his fury and he will what is it uh, uh, I frighten them in uh, speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury that's the psalm they're quoting do you hear it yes. big god <laughs> big god little devil Right now, when, when you get in a situation, you can get frightened and you can look around and you, get, you can get this big devil, big darkness, big trouble. Oh boy. We've, this, they were living in a far more difficult environment. And you, I even have a clue. And they had a big God. They weren't afraid. Their request, their prayer revealed what they believed God wanted them to do. They said, see, see their threats. So yes, they're saying, God, see it. Uh, they, and in there is an ask, ask, asking for protection, but asking for a response, almost more than protection. Empower us, they say, to speak. They were asking for holy boldness. Extend your hand. They were asking for more miracles to glorify the name of Jesus. More power, more courage. God's response, well, the place was shaken. Did he agree? They were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke boldly. Right then, probably prophecy in tongues. Now, let's apply this. You and I are facing a changing society. No one can miss the fact that our society is changing around us. We're following Western Europe and becoming a post-Christian culture. Things that were once wrong have become right, quote. Things that were once right have become wrong, quote. So we need some coaching on how to live in this new environment. As we watch and listen to the early church, they show us the way forward. First of all, you and I have to choose masters. Each of us must settle in his or her own mind where the boundaries are and be prepared to practice godly disobedience. Have you decided for you? I've already had to think through things. What will I? What can I? And what can't I do? And be willing to pay the price. You just make those decisions. So the lines have to be decided there, and they're decided beforehand. You settle them in your heart. Secondly, Jesus gives us this be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. He says, I send you out among wolves, and you're sheep. You don't have any defense. The serpent part means don't stir up unnecessary trouble. If there's gonna be a fight, make sure it's about God's clear commands. Be wise. Stay, stay out of just making trouble. And the, the dove part means don't give the devil the opportunity to discredit you by being impure. Live clean, moral lives. Don't give them a softball to hit. Thirdly, focus on people, not politics. I've had people who, you know, I've had people who leave the church because they figure I just don't have the guts to talk about it. To say what really matters. Well, I think I do say what really matters. And I'm going to tell you something. If you are hooking your hopes on politics, I'm trying to find a good word for it. That, that you really made a mistake. You made a mistake. Listen. How about your teenage children? The ones that get receive Christ accept the values, don't they? The ones that get born again, filled with the Holy Ghost, they understand why the family does what they do. They want those family values. The children that do not, what do they do with your values? They rebel because it's not in the heart. You cannot rule a nation with Christian values where the people have no transformed heart. At least a majority. You'll never have everybody. But you've got, and what have we been doing? We've been, at least in, 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 well, actually, the United States has been struggling with its faith since, since before we were formed as a nation. We had the French Renaissance was what was started out, even before 1776 and all of that. They were having trouble with the French Renaissance. And then you went through the whole German thing with the, with the undermining of the scripture. And the the theology through the 1800s, you had you had foolishness through the 1800s, just constantly grinding away at the authority of Scripture, constantly and teaching that in the seminaries, so that now the pastors and the leaders in the churches have no faith. And so it's just we've just been dumbing down for at least 200 years. So we've gotten to where we are. What's the solution? Vote better. China, right now, there's more Christians in China than there are communists. Do you know that? It is a growing, thriving church. I mean, we're, we're, we're moving to the 100 million mark. And you know what the Chinese church is doing? They stay out of politics. They've got no interest. Well, at what point would they have? But, but, that, but neither did the early church here. Do you notice the absence of Jesus leading any kind of political charge at all? Somebody said Jesus is the one that separated church and state when he said, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar and to God the things that are God. He just went, shwap. He said, Let's focus on the kingdom. Let's focus on people. Let's focus on souls. Let's get down to the, the real issue of eternal matters. China does not get involved. And here's what, and they have been tortured and, and suffered over the years horrifically. But that church just keeps on thriving. And now it's getting very difficult for China to reject them because they are excellent citizens. They are honest. They are kind. They are generous. They're, 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 they're the example of what you want. So China has actually sent emissaries to places like Nigeria and Kenya to talk with Christian leaders there going, how do you live with your Christians? Uh, because they have formally. Because they're recognizing Christians are a really beneficial force, but they've also got other religions that aren't. So they're trying to, how do we walk this out? But Christianity is winning its hearing, not by voting or marching or demanding, but by living prophetically. In, 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 in when I was in this meeting, what, what, what interesting conversations. Boy, I had fun. we had fun. Talking to, I'm talking to Malawi, and they're telling me we got 140 churches, and that probably uh, 90% of the nation are Christians. But then Zimbabwe comes to me, and they say, well, psh, 90%. We're 97. Uh-huh. <laughs> now, do you know anything anyway about Southern Africa? Do you know Zimbabwe and Robert Mugabe? This, is an, this nation is a, has an absolute dictator. Uh, uh, just a, and and here's what the here's what the uh, Zimbabwe church says, but we got total religious freedom. We can preach in the churches. We, I mean, the, we can preach in the schools. We can preach in the marketplace. We can go to the hospitals. We can do anything. No money, but we got freedom. And they're planting churches. We have one hundred and fifty churches in Zimbabwe, and they and they're just planting planting churches and moving. And these this is this has grown recently. I mean, these, these are just thriving. All, everywhere we're going. Here you have these very difficult environments. And the church, which in in Africa is not a bit ashamed to be a Pentecostal, fully understands prayer, prays for the sick, casts out demons, thinks we're crazy if we don't understand the influence of demonic powers, because they do. And here they are, here they are, and they're just planting churches as fast as they can go. I'm telling you, you and I, if we, if we look at politics and let our hearts sink, we're making a terrible mistake. Our history, the, the going clear back to here, has been that what we do is we go after souls. No sooner did I get off the plane from Amsterdam, and I, and I, I actually told my neighbor, you know, just... Pick up my paper and you read it and throw it away. Well, he gave them all back to me, which I think much to my wife's chagrin. Um, and, uh, but I, and I've still got them piled on the t- table because I haven't to read them. But I picked up the first one and I opened up to an editorial and, and it, it, it said this. Um, he said, the post-election landscape sure looks like we, we're the new Amsterdam. We've legalized pot, ditto gay marriage, and on it goes. Well, I've just been in Amsterdam. They've done this for a long time. How are they doing? It was only, it was not that long ago, I don't know, 10, 15 years, just a bunch of guys got together and said, let's have a little workshop, because there are no four square churches in all of Amsterdam and Holland. Let's have a little workshop on how to plant churches, those guys just started planting churches. Today we have 40 churches. We have one with 300 Iranians. They said one of the most responsive groups in Holland are the Iranians and the Turks. Come on. Last Saturday night, Mary and I are sitting in the dedication service for the new 900-seat auditorium this beautiful thing, 900 seat auditorium in Amherstfort with, with, a, with a, a worship team, places packed, young people everywhere. It rocked. We even had steam. And you know who was sitting in the front row is the Lord Mayor. He was invited. He stands up at first and he says, Now I was raised a Catholic and I have a lot of doubts. And uh, so he didn't mess with us. I mean, there's a big separation of church and state thing there. He says, I have a lot of doubts. And, uh, but but he was polite. And then the the, the thing they had him do is his job was to walk over to the wall and pull the uh, sheet off of the thing which says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And uh, now... So he's in the front row. So Mary and I are praying like crazy for this guy. You know, he's got the chain. There they have a, the, the mayor. I mean, they really acknowledge their mayors. it has got this chain for the, for the, he's the Lord Mayor. And it's a big deal. And he's there. Uh, and he had come. And then a- afterwards, um, I'm, I'm talking with a guy outside. I was out waiting. And, and he had come to the conference, recognized me, came up. And we were talking. And he says, I'm a cook. And he says, actually, I cook for the Lord Mayor, among other things. And he says uh, he and I are talking together. He, he says I, I hate this raising hands and clapping. And he said so. I watched him real close. And he said he said uh, he was not only clapping, but he said at one point he was doing this. <laughs> now, how do you not? What is what is what is Holland rejecting? They're rejecting dead, stiff, political, lifeless religion. But when you bring them the Holy Spirit and the power of God and the worship and grace, grace, they're loving it. And the place was full of young people. It rocked. Their worship team was beautiful. The power was there. The whole place was just lit. It was like, it was like anything we'd ever hoped to have here. So how's the church doing in Amsterdam and in Holland? This was Amersfoort. How, 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 is, how, is th- how are things going? Thriving, thank you very much. Do, do you see where I'm going with this? This is how we live in difficult times. This, this, is, this, is, this is our assignment. Where was I? All right. Our call is to change a society the old-fashioned way, one soul at a time. That same editorialist that I quoted earlier, listen to what he says here in another one. He said, For about as long as I've been alive, the religious right, starting with Jerry Falwell's Moral Majority and the Christian Coalition in the 90s, through the groups of today, has been trying to win their vision for everyone through politics. That's what's failed. But that doesn't make religion a loser. Churches could be far more effective if they stayed out of government and spread their gospels the old-fashioned way, quietly quietly. One soul at a time. How about that for a radical concept? How about getting back to winning souls? This guy's no believer at all. He says he calls himself godless. But he's right. This is where we've missed it. We've been pulled in because we were a market. We were an influence. We are a force. We've been pulled in. And we've been, we've been politicized. And when you enter in politics, there's money and power at stake. And people will kill you. There's a, you, you enter into a secular clash, a, a, a thing that's full of hatred and competition. You enter into an ugly environment. Our assignment is souls, it's people. So there we, there we Mary, and I last Sunday morning, this time a week ago, we're in a little church plant out in a place called Haferstam, I think, or something like that, next to Harlem. And it was in a little, little uh, elementary school. And there was about 30 people there. And they're worshiping. And then I'm, I'm, I'm preaching. And right afterwards, people stand to come forward, want to be ministered to. First lady comes up to me. Her husband just stepped in front of a train and killed himself two months ago. And I preached on forgiveness. And she was just saying, would you help me? I'm dealing with depression. We had a full manifestation demonic thing. I mean, it was a humdinger. We, the power of God. What, what, when people walk away from God's laws and walk away from his ways, do you know what happens? The way of the transgressor is hard. Say that. The way of the transgressor is hard. So as people, there's, there's an early stage when it's like, ha-ha, we're throwing off your traces. We're throwing off your rules. And then they get to live with the fruit of godlessness, which means addictions and torn up, torn up hearts and minds, busted marriages, all kinds of things that just tear them apart. And after a while, it's not fun anymore. It's not cute anymore. It's nothing but ugly. And they desperately need someplace to turn where there's power and deliverance and healing. You understand? And that's so our job is to get on with our job. To, to be who we are. And it's working. They're not worried in, in Holland. And they've been a, they're way ahead of us in terms of decline. And they're doing fine, thank you very much. They're planting churches and thriving, and the power of God's there. We need to keep our eye on the ball. We need to make disciples, to refuse to let anyone pull your hope and your energy off bringing people to Jesus. We need to take the log out of our own eye. Let's tone down some of the harsh criticism of our unbelieving society and address our own glaring failures. When when we do, our godly lives will preach for us. Someone called it living prophetically. At this point, the Western Church has a huge log in its eye. Our lack of personal holiness, our lack of spiritual power, the forgotten gospel. Goodness, we don't even know how to lead people to salvation. Our lack of good works, service, mission, care of the poor, care of our own family members, our ignorance of the Bible, our lack of intercessory prayer, our lack of love for one another. Come on. The world looks at us and we are not a moral authority they're interested in. We've got no credibility. Do you understand? For us, with the conditions we're in, having a higher divorce rate than the average public to be scolding is not effective. Everywhere I go, pastors are hungry to talk about the real issues. They want to know how do we lead people to Christ. They want to know what is this baptism of the Holy Spirit. They're, they're, they're interested again in preaching the word of God. There is a move of the Holy Spirit across, this, across our country, and I find it everywhere I go in the world. There is a revival stirring people. God is, I mean, it's not. I, I, what I told, them in, I told them in Holland, I said, it, isn't, it isn't com- we're not praying that it comes. It's already started. Power was there, man. I know the power when I feel it. Power was already moving in the middle of that culture, moving strong. Churches are being planted. They're opening new ones as we speak. Christianic. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. We simply have to get back to letting him be that. And then we need to thank God for His assignment. This is my generation. Can you thank him for that? You you understand you had no choice, right? When you were born? And some of you wish you were born in the past, some of you'd like to be born way in the future. Tough. This is when God, this is your generation, wouldn't you you would omit that, right? Yeah, you got no choice. Thank you Jesus that I can live now. That you put me here, that you considered me suitable. To be your servant here in this generation. Thank you, Jesus, that this is my city, my state, and my nation. Some of you are thinking of moving to Texas. Now you stop it. And you're gonna buy a gun and get some of that freeze dried food. And just sit there. Don't you do that. The FBI'll get you. Now, we've got to quit running from this. Look, look at them. You creator. You, are, you who control human events. They, they weren't afraid. They weren't running. They were full of faith. They were believing God. And, and, and nobody was going to tell them to be quiet. Put them in jail. Do what you had to do. But you're not going to silence them. And they didn't. And that, from that group you're looking at there, that, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ spread over the entire empire in 300 years. And became the dominant religion. That's why Constantine went to it. Was it because everybody, I mean, it, it was the dominant religion. And it was the one thing that had made sense in that chaos. This is my city, my state, and my nation. Thank you, Jesus Somebody say, thank you, Jesus, with me. This is my church family, among whom I hear the word, worship, serve, fellowship, and pray. There's a point where you got to decide where you belong. And I'm not starting a cult. It's a matter about relationship and attitude. It's a matter about submission and cooperation and love and investment. You cannot just play Christian by watching TV and sort of sitting out there with your opinions. You need to wade into a community and live with people. You need to know people. You say, they won't like me. Well, maybe not, but we will. I'm joking. Honestly, if you know any of us long enough, you won't like us. I I saw a t-shirt out in South Africa. They said, uh, what was it? Uh, If I haven't offended you yet, uh, be patient. I will get to you shortly. That's just humanity. That's the way people are. So what do we do? We learn to forgive. We learn to walk in the light with each other. And that's, is it, it's easy to do. It's, it's simple to understand. It's very hard to do. Yes. Get over it. Do it. Don't talk at it. Don't look at it. Do it. Yes. It's time we did it. Yes. You and, if you and I had been in that room... Would we have had the faith and courage to pray that prayer with them? Or would fear have gripped us and left us looking for ways to compromise in order to avoid being persecuted? Would we have asked for boldness to keep on speaking? Or would we have begged for protection? Would we have chosen to obey? Whom would we have chosen to obey? As you and I listen to their prayer, it presses each of us to give an answer. If we've already decided who will serve, And are ready to ask for boldness not safety. As we face our future. Let's join them in prayer. If you're ready to do that would you stand with me. And there's a prayer written out. So behave your bulletin in your hand. And. If again don't. I'm not looking at who's praying or not praying. But if you're ready to say I get it. And to stand with your forefathers and mothers. Let's read this together out loud. And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. You agree with that? Would you say amen? Amen. Father God, we pray that We look at the model that we see of our brothers and sisters. And we choose whom we'll serve. And we call you this day with full joy. You are our master. You holy, good, kind, powerful God. You who in whom there's no darkness of turning at all. You who love with an everlasting love. You who are just and pure. We submit to you. We will, not, we will not follow the gods of this world. We will not follow the voices of this world. Help us be wise as serpents. Help us be harmless as doves. Help us be, be focused on that which is important and not lose sight. Help us love people. Help us love one another. Help us love you and walk in holiness. Oh God, we take this as a wonderful moment. A wonderful moment. That as the world around us wanders away. We can be a light. We can live prophetically. And we know this. That you can save and heal and do your works today. As much as you did on that day. You're the same Jesus. You're the absolute same today. As you were yesterday. And you will be forever. So thank you Lord. If our brothers and sisters in southern Africa can be thriving, in some cases, under powerful dictatorships. If our brothers and sisters in Holland can be thriving in a a culture that has completely thrown away its Christian heritage. Oh God, so can we. And so, Lord, we choose to live bravely. We choose to thank you. It is not with a sour heart. But it's with great thanks. Thank you that we are living now. Thank you that you have placed us here. Thank you that you have put us together. Blessed be the Lord. Who has sovereignly guided us. And placed us where he wants us. We love you Jesus. We love you Jesus. We are thankful. And we just we do pray with them. Give us courage. To speak the name of your Holy Son, Jesus. And you, while we speak, do your signs and wonders. Do your healings. Do your wonders. Come with the power of God. Whatever in us would inhibit it. Whatever in me as a pastor would inhibit it. I ask you to just deal with us. Remove it from our hearts. Remove it from my heart. Lord, that we would allow you to do all that you have in your heart. Blessed be the Lord. You're alive and strong. In Jesus' powerful name we pray it. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.